Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, we got a lot to discuss. We haven't talked since uh, Oklahoma State busted out the brooms, sweeping Bedlam. We've got some big, breaking Big 12 news, as well as a pretty interesting interview with Mike Gundy and Robert Allen. But uh, Colby, how are you doing on this Friday? Sorry we weren't able to uh, connect yesterday. No, doing great. It ended up working out. We tried yesterday. It didn't work. And then we got some news on OU and Texas not being able to leave the Big 12. So looking forward to getting into that. But, man, really want to talk Bedlam basketball because, man, it's it's for the shortcomings that the Oklahoma State basketball program has had under Mike Boynton, none of those have been in Bedlam. Bedlam has been extremely one-sided in Boynton's tenure. And that continued Wednesday night. It was an absolute beatdown. Uh, it was an absolute treat to watch. I'm, I'm still enjoying uh, that win Wednesday night. That garners you a lot of favor. If you just take care of Bedlam, uh, that that stems a lot of frustrations for sure. And we'll get into that and everything I discussed or I mentioned off the top. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Well, Colby, let's start in Bedlam. Uh, we haven't got a chance to talk about the Bedlam basketball matchup down in Norman. There were free tickets. It was a packed house. OU coming off a massive win that just came out of completely nowhere against Alabama. And then Mike Boynton and company had other ideas. They just, they straight up just laid the smack down in Norman. It was an old school spanking. And just off the top, Colby, my thoughts, it just appears, you know, they've won four out of five. They, they swept Bedlam, which, which I mentioned. It just kind of appears all of a sudden over the last four or five games that this is kind of the vision Mike Boynton had for his program. And it appears to me that it's, coming to fruition here, at least recently. I mean, long, athletic, just completely overwhelmed, a very unathletic Oklahoma team. This is kind of the image when Mike Boynton took the podium and said what he wanted to bring to Oklahoma State. He mentioned defense, which they're clearly elite at that. And it's clear from his recruiting, Colby, he wants long and he wants athleticism. And they just completely, completely overwhelmed Oklahoma and Norman. I thought it was really impressive. Yeah, the golf in athleticism between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma was, I mean, I mean, I'm trying to think of a time when there was such a gap in athleticism between the two schools. They're usually pretty close. Uh, they mentioned on the broadcast that was the first time since 04 that Oklahoma State had won by double digits in Norman, and the final score was 10. The margin of 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 leading that game throughout was 16 to 20 throughout most of the second half. Um, and it was, it was bad from the jump. I mean, Caleb Boone scores eight of the first 10. It didn't even look like he was being guarded early in that game. It was lob city to Caleb Boone. It was lob city to Musa Cisse. Uh, I had lunch with a buddy yesterday. We were talking about it and I compared it to, you know, when you were in college Carson and you roll up to the Colvin and you go in the main gym and there's a five on five full court game going. And it's clear that all five of the best players are on the same team and the other team is just getting their brains beat in that's what it looked like between OU and OSU and I'm not used to that kind of golf in athleticism last week Carson you asked me would I rather have the dudes or would I rather have a more polished proven offensive system and I said I'd rather have the dudes Wednesday night 
was why. Fran Fraschilla continually was describing OU on the broadcast as scared. Scared of Oklahoma State's length. Scared of Oklahoma State's athleticism. Scared to make passes into the middle of the the paint because they knew they were going to get tipped away. Scared to go to the rim because they knew they were going to get blocked. It was such a difference in athleticism. Carson, I hope these two teams meet again in the Big 12 tournament because I think it'll be another ass-kicking. It's OU has no business being out there with Oklahoma State. I don't know what happened against Alabama last Saturday for Oklahoma. That's got to be the fluke of the entire season in college basketball because, man, OU's 2-7 and seven in conference. I don't know where the Alabama came from, but Wednesday night looked like what Wednesday night was supposed to look like because Oklahoma State is just far superior athletically to Oklahoma. Well, and to extend your analogy – Oklahoma State's on court one at the old Colvin and OU's players walk in the gym. You got to go down to court three where the, the jabronis are playing. You're, you're not allowed in this court. This is where this is where the football team and the basketball team are playing. You guys don't don't belong on this court. That's basically what it looked like. You got Musa Cisse and Caleb Boone kind of waving the Groves brothers down the down the court. You got to go to court three. This is court one where the big dogs hang to, to extend your analogy. That's good. And, and I, and I don't I really don't want to take this for granted because I just I distinctly remember and I know you do too. It didn't really matter how good Travis Ford got things going. He just got out coached every time he would play Long Kruger. It was just it was so hard for them. They they never won in Norman. But we now just it's just the third time OSU has beaten Oklahoma in Norman since the Eddie Sutton era. So I don't want to breeze past that point. This is a this is a big deal. Like winning at Lloyd Noble, regardless of how that gym is constructed, it's hard. OU's generally been very good over the years. And so just their third time winning in Norman. And the two guys I mentioned, Musa Cisse and Caleb Boone, were at the front and center of it. And, and I mentioned this on, on a recent podcast with you, Colby. And look, Caleb Boone was the star, and I want to get to him. But but first, has when's the last time Oklahoma State had a center as dominant of a presence as Musa Cisse. And that kind of gets to the point you brought up that I've been bringing up too, Colby, just with the sheer athletes Mike Boynton is getting, you got to think they're going to figure it out. And they just, we have not seen a guy like Musa Cisse playing for Oklahoma State in a very, very long time. And they, they don't grow on trees. I understand that. But I thought his return to the lineup only extended that dominance, only extended that athletic advantage that Oklahoma State has. No, I I couldn't agree more. And Fran talked about last night on the broadcast that his ankle injury a few weeks ago might have been a blessing in disguise because what that kind of forced Mike Boynton to do was get more minutes for both Caleb Boone and Woody Newton, rotate those guys through, and then Musa Cisse comes back. Now you're rotating through Caleb Boone, uh, Woody Newton, and Musa Cisse. Musa's not having to play as many minutes. Last uh, Not last night, Wednesday night, Caleb Boone played 17 minutes, 18 points in 17 minutes. Musa Cisse, 18 points in 18 minutes. Uh, that keeps those guys durable throughout the stretch of the season. And I mean, you can just rotate them through. Those guys are almost never on the floor at the same time because Woody Newton can be a stretch four. Woody Newton has 10 rebounds the other night. It's just those three guys and Mike Boynton finally figuring out how those puzzle pieces fit. I think that's what we're seeing is that, you know, the beginning of the season, all these different athletes for Oklahoma state and all these big guys, how do the puzzle pieces fit together? And sometimes you, you just kind of have to start piecing it together and figure it out as you go. And I think that uh, Musa Cisse getting injured probably was a blessing in disguise because Mike Boynton, I think now 
uh, rightly realizes that you need a good rotation of Woody Newton, Caleb Boone, and Musa Cisse, and those guys have been phenomenal. Your guards are playing well. They're playing good, not great, but they don't have to play great when your bigs uh, are doing so much. So Avery and Bryce Thompson both scoring double figures the other night to join Cisse and Boone. Um, also, we, we need to give Caleb Boone his flowers throughout his career for the way that he has played in Bedlam because Carson Caleb Boone is an in-state guy and he has been just a borderline Bedlam assassin throughout his career. Every year, it seems like his biggest games come against Oklahoma. Yeah, I think um, that's that's kind of where I wanted to go next with what, you know, I mentioned perhaps Mike Boynton's vision for the program is, is blossoming before our eyes. I, I think it's safe to say now with the way he's played this year, that Caleb Boone's become the player that we kind of hoped he would be coming out of high school. You know, him and his brother were very highly regarded recruits and he flat out dominated Oklahoma and let him hear about it too. You know, it's always interesting when you have an in-state kid playing in Bedlam. And I kind of tweeted that Caleb Boone was, he was really playing it up like as if he was kind of an old school, like big eight villain type. I think of the Jason Sutherland's from Missouri, the, uh, the Tim Heskett's from Oklahoma, Eduardo Nahara's. I think of a lot of OU guys when I think of pests. But uh, he basically told the student section, or what, what if you want to call them that, to just sit down and be quiet because we're going to run the show here. You know, you mentioned it. I mean, 18 points in that few minutes. I mean, it, Colby, that place was ready to pop. They had 13,400 in attendance, which is as much or more than than a full Gallagher-Iba. So it was, it was rocking, and I just thought he really set the tone, not only with his play and the amount of dunks he was having, but just really his overall attitude. And, and you know, he, he was quoted as last year's calling OU the little brother. And he, he backed up those statements in the postgame afterwards. But I don't know, man. Caleb Boone really has become the player we hoped he would be. And he's also got the swagger to match it, too. Teams are a reflection of their head coach in rivalry games. I truly believe that. And mm-hmm. Mike Boynton. Mike Boynton, despite not being an Oklahoma State grad, despite never having spent any time in Stillwater before he showed up as a coach, Mike Boynton got it from the jump when it comes to Bedlam. We all remember the speech, we don't like them. If you're not from here, we don't like them. We want to beat them. We want to beat them bad. It's personal. It's personal. He's been consistent with that. And he has given his players the confidence and the belief. When you walk on the court, when you step out there against Oklahoma, you step out there knowing that you are bigger and badder than they are. And you're not just trying to beat them. You are trying to embarrass them. You want the guy doing color commentary on the broadcast talking about how scared they are of you. And that is what happened Wednesday night. And that is what Caleb Boone is doing. Mike Boynton gives the speeches, talks about, we don't like them, go out and beat them down. And then as it's happening, Caleb Boone tells him to sit down and shut up. This is just a team that goes into Bedlam with a different swagger than I think we see in almost any sport. Mike Boynton's teams, you know, these aren't world beating teams. These are not top 10 teams in the country, but they go into Bedlam and they bring it for Bedlam. They show up and they give OU their absolute best every time. Six out of seven now for Boynton squad. Um, yeah, I, I just think that it is so important that he has established that as the norm for Bedlam. We're better than they are. We're more athletic. We're bigger. We're faster. We're stronger. Go beat them down. And his team has taken that onto themselves and they play with confidence in Bedlam. It, it truly is a treat to watch. I really hope we get to see it again in the Big 12 tournament. So it's it's not just another game? Is that what you're telling me? Is that how Mike, Mike doesn't treat it that game. way? 
not just another game. I, I didn't even really mean to say all that as a shot to Mike Gundy. Obviously, you can draw the parallels there. Um, he, he treats it differently than Mike Boynton. It hasn't worked out. Now, it is a little bit different whenever you're talking about an OU team that's typically one of the best in the country in football, but even the sure. years that that's not the but, case. But the attitude matters, though, right? It like, does. It does. Mike has had a defeatist attitude going into that game. He's, he's downplayed it at every turn. A lot different than the way Mike Boynton handles it. And you're right. It's a totally apples and oranges situation in terms of rosters, construction, how many players you have on the team. I, we get all that. But I think fans really appreciate the attitude of, you know what? We're not going to kowtow to Oklahoma. We're the we're the bully on the block. We're going to go beat them. How about that? I, I love that. I think that's a good point by you. Um, so, Colby, they've won four out of five, like I mentioned. They're back firmly in the bubble uh, as far as uh, Joe Lenardi has put them back in the tournament. So they're kind of one of those – fringe teams right now but uh how are you liking their their NCAA tournament chances I think the last this last week not only beating Iowa State but also getting that home winning it's Ole Miss and then certainly on the road against Oklahoma a team they're jostling with for tournament tournament position uh how, how are you liking their their chances I mean they're now what four and five in conference I think like we mentioned it eight and ten in conference I think they're in seven and eleven going to be dicey but shoot i mean the way they're trending right now if they can pick up a few more wins they might get to 500 in league play yeah i, I do think i i think that the excitement from the bedlam win and four out of five is justified i think everyone should be excited i think that we should also remind everyone this is the big 12 oklahoma state's not running the table they're not going nine and zero the rest of the way they're going to lose games and even if they go four and five the rest of the way that gets them to eight and 10 confidently into the tournament. Now, five of the last nine for Oklahoma state are against top 15 teams in the country. So it's not going to be easy the rest of the way, but maybe you get fortunate and you get a TCU team tomorrow with no Mike miles, no Eddie Lampkin. I, I don't know. Hope those guys aren't too hurt. Wouldn't hate it. Uh, you know, if you're TCU, don't feel the need to rush those guys back, let them get their rest, make sure they're good to go for tournament time. Uh, if we didn't have to see those two tomorrow in Stillwater, that would help a ton, but uh, I mean, still, you've got Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor still on the schedule. Uh, you got to play a Tech team twice that can be dangerous at times. So you're still going to have to play some good teams, but I absolutely think Oklahoma State can pick up four wins the rest of the way. Uh, it's still the Big 12, so don't expect some crazy improbable run where they go on a, a streak and win the conference. But I think 8 and 10 in conference is very much in play, and I don't know that I felt that way at 1 and 4 in conference. It has been a good couple of weeks for Mike Boynton at Oklahoma State. So uh, I feel good about them getting to 8 and 10 in conference, getting into the tournament. And once you're in there, you never know. Maybe they go out first, first Thursday. Maybe they're done by 2 o'clock on Thursday. Or maybe they go on a run and pull off an upset and make it to the second weekend. Who knows? Just get in the tournament and give yourself a chance. Well, it's it's interesting. You know, tournament's all about matchups. And, man, the way they're playing right now, like, who wants to play Oklahoma State in a tournament scenario with, with the size they have inside? I mean, that, that was kind of the big concern when they had to play Oregon State in the NCAA tournament was just how big they were. OSU was a smaller team. And it cost small ball. Day. It killed them in that game. Yeah, just crushed them in rebounding department. They out-rebounded Oklahoma by 10 despite playing a little small with Woody Newton. So, I don't know. It's To me, the key is obviously their guard play. I mean, the games where they've really struggled, they've gotten close to nothing out of Avery Anderson and, and Bryce Thompson. But those two guys, we know how talented they are. If they're on, I mean, that's why Fran Fraschilla was talking about them being possibly a second weekend type team because they have the pieces just a matter of can the can the guard play play consistently and, and get some get some points from the outside because man when they do Colby they're 
they're tough out. I mean, they're just they're just hard to deal with with their length and athleticism. Yeah, they are absolutely. And uh, if you show up and you're the favorite, let's say Oklahoma State's in as a a, a nine seed, throw them in the eight nine game. I mean, that's probably not an NBS eight nine matchup for another opponent just because of Oklahoma State's length and athleticism. And and that's why you want the dudes uh, because assuming health. Moses Cisse, Caleb Boone, Woody Newton, that's tough to deal with. And you don't even necessarily need Avery and Bryce to both be on on the same night. You kind of just need one of them to be on if your bigs are playing the way they are. Maybe Asbury hits a three or two uh, to, to propel you a little bit. But, yeah, I like Oklahoma State's chances if they get in the tournament to at least win one game. Once you get in that second round and you're playing a, a one, two, three, or four seed, something like that, you'll have to pull up pull off an upset if you want to make it to the second weekend. Uh, but it's certainly possible. By the way, we were talking about uh, Caleb and Keelan. Let's give Keelan a little shout out. He's a Pacific this year. He's playing more than 22 minutes a game. He's averaging 13 points on almost 41% from three-point range, uh, shooting more than five times a game from beyond the arc. So seems like Keelan has found himself a good landing space as well. Uh, definitely like to see that because just didn't totally work at Oklahoma State for him, but having a lot of success at Pacific, it seems like, in his first year. You know, when I was watching Caleb light up Oklahoma, I meant to look up Keelan to see what he was doing because my interest was peaked. And, man, I just – I didn't think he got enough opportunities at Oklahoma State. Wasn't he, like, their only real three-point threat last year and he's shooting 41% this year? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he couldn't get on the floor defensively. I don't I don't know. But, man, he good for him, I guess. Yeah, I, I would imagine you get defended a little bit differently in the Big 12 than you do at Pacific as well, twice a week, night in, night out. Uh, but it also could have been one of those things. I mean, Oklahoma State there for a year or two had a lot of similar type athletes with similar type skill sets, and Mike Boynton was trying to to figure out how to piece it all together. Uh, maybe it was minutes and opportunities. Uh, maybe it was just the level of competition. I don't know. But either way, very happy to see him having success at Pacific. And one last note from me, OSU, you know, what had really been crushing them was the the long scoring droughts. Their longest drought against Oklahoma was just two minutes and 44 seconds, and it was in the first half. And career win number 100 for Mike Boynton comes in Norman, comes in Bedlam. And I think if you can say there's a hallmark of Mike Boynton's tenure so far, it's obviously Kate Cunningham and the run they made there, but I think it's his success in the Bedlam series, which, again, just the third win in Norman since Eddie. Uh, that 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 says a lot, and I think that's a good good way to kind of encapsulate his 100th win. A hundred percent. That was the best place to get his hundredth win, especially in the commanding fashion that they did it in front of that crowd. And uh, I actually commend Oklahoma with the weather that, that we were having on Wednesday night for making it free and getting people in the door. I mean. If that's what it takes, college basketball in this state sometimes, I don't know. Maybe both schools do it every year for Bedlam just to pack the place. Uh, it's probably not going to happen. Obviously, revenue is revenue, and it's easy for me to talk about other people losing money. Um, but, yeah, no, I thought the atmosphere was uh, great for a big road victory in a rivalry game like that. Yep, I agree. It was cool that they, <laughs> they, they let people in for free, and it kind of backfired a little bit because you had – you know, all OSU fans in there at the end of the game, and they're apparently waving on the uh, the OU fans to hit the parking lot. So it was chanting uh, uh, SEC too. The OSU fans were chanting <laughs> SEC late in the second half at Lloyd Noble, which is just so so good. That's Chef's kiss. Uh, and we'll get to. Um, you want to do bullets and BBs now, or you want to wait and discuss some football news? Uh, let's do some football. Let's do some football. Yeah. We'll circle back to bullets and BBs. Yeah, like we want to – obviously the Big 12 schedule was released. We're going to go through that. Uh, but first, there's some breaking news today on Friday. Uh appears 
conversations have stalled between Oklahoma, Texas, and the Big 12 and the SEC. Tweet from Pete Thamel, who broke this story for ESPN. The effort for Oklahoma and Texas to lead the Big 12 a year early and join the SEC in 2024 has stalled. At this point, is unlikely to come to fruition. Texas and Oklahoma will join the SEC in 2025 as parties couldn't come to terms amid a complex negotiation between the two schools, the two networks, and the Big 12. Colby, like when the schedule came out and you had all these – I had so many people in my timeline going, 2024, last last bedlam ever. You know, the OU's going to be gone next – the year after in 2024. 20, uh, 2023 is the last bedlam. Not going to be here in 2024. I'm just like – who who does who says like why are you guys just assuming this? I've been saying this since day one. Show me where it serves the Big Twelve to just not collect the full 160 million from OU and Texas combined. Not tell Oklahoma we want to air your games until the grant of rights is over, which is what this is all about. Where's the incentive for Fox to let Oklahoma and Texas go? I'm sorry, this has been just complete wish casting from Oklahoma fans and some of them who work in the media, that they're just going to magically appear in the SEC because they want to go, because they're getting antsy. Sorry, <laughs> doesn't work that way. Brett Yormark knows it doesn't work that way. Fox is like, you know what? We're going to air OU in Texas again this year and next. Sorry, you can join whenever the grant of rights is over. You knew this when you made this deal. And <laughs> Colby, I'm just astonished that people just thought this would just be worked out. There's nothing to work out from the Big 12's end. Yeah, the middle finger from the Big 12 and from Fox to the SEC and ESPN is so beautiful. I mean, the idea that uh, it, it sounds like negotiations. You know, when you talk about negotiations between OU and Texas <laughs> and the Big 12, what negotiations? I, I don't believe that Brett Moore, your mark was ever negotiating. I think if the number was 80 million, I think Brett Moore, your mark said, okay, here is our offer 80 million each. I know you and Texas are like, well, what if we do 40 each? You still get a full 80. You know, you get it now. That's a nice little boost. And Brett Yormark's like, all right, let's compromise 80 million each. And that's just pretty much how I think it played out. Um, reading it on pistolsfiringblog.com here, calling it the early OU Texit, which is pretty good. Um, <laughs> Texit. Yeah. And, you know, Gonzaga might be coming along. We get all the newbies next year in Stillwater on the Big 12 schedule. And we get to keep OU in Texas for a couple of years. Like, Let's take a couple of years with OU and Texas in the conference. And football was really good last year. It's going to be even better next year. Basketball, baseball, it's it's all on the rise right now. Why not have a cut another couple of years with OU and Texas? There was no reason to ever let them out early. They did a backroom shady deal that nobody knew about until it was announced. And then they wanted to get let off the hook and let out early without paying the full amount. No, the, the negotiation is you pay your full buyout or you stick around until the end of the contract. Good for uh, the Big 12. Good for Fox. That's well said. And uh, I actually have my hands on some audio from from Brett Yormark sitting down with Joe Castiglione and, and Chris Del Conte from Texas. Here, Here's how the negotiation went. My offer is this. Nothing. My offer is this. Nothing. You get nothing and like it. Like, at, at what point is are people going to understand this, Colby? I thought you said that so great. Like, that. Here's our negotiation. How about you give us 160 million uh, per school instead of total? I mean, if you want out that bad, I'm I'm sure that's the only negotiating negotiating Brett Yormark's willing to do. So, not that big of a surprise for me. Um, do you have any other thoughts before we move on to the schedule? Just I just again, I just people have had their head in the sand on this, and I, again, they they've been 
wish casting this entire time? Uh, I just, I love when the big dogs don't get their way, especially when it's OU in Texas. It just, it makes me happy uh, on top of Bedlam for this news to come out and, you know, just for the OU fan base to just sit in it. Just, you, you just get to sit in it uh, for a couple of days before you get back. I know they were all excited about the Alabama win last Saturday and they should have been, but I'm very glad that they have just been slammed Trent Williams style back down to earth. Oh, it's been, it's been amazing. That was a good slam by Trent. I would not want Trent Williams slamming me anywhere. Uh, I would say he's top three in the NFL guys. I don't want to get body slammed by he's up there with Aaron Donald and I did maybe top two. Maybe it's just those two guys. I was listening to a podcast earlier this week. They were talking about Trent Williams getting in a bar fight at one point and he like got a bottle of champagne broke over his head and he got tasered and he never went down. And I'm like, yeah, that's that sounds like Trent Williams. He's not the same type of human being that the rest of us are. Have you seen that clip of him punching Richard Sherman in the face? Punching Richard Sherman in the face? Yeah. No, I don't think so. It's when he played for the Washington football team. It's after a game on the field, and, and Williams has his helmet on still, and Sherman doesn't. And he walks right up to him, and Sherman just starts chirping at him, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And Williams goes, I'm going to effing punch you in the face. And he goes, we'll do it then. And before he can say finish the word then, he just smacks him right in the face. And like a, a brawl about – they get separated, but – it was a hard, hard, hard punch. I'm surprised Sherman didn't go down. Yeah, I, just, I pulled up the story. It was back in 2013. Uh, Trent Williams was actually assaulted. Somebody attacked him at a bar and broke a bottle of champagne over his head and tasered him. Uh, and Trent Williams never went down, and the guy got arrested for third-degree assault. Yeah, that's that's uh, that doesn't surprise me. He's, like, trying to take down a dang buffalo. He's just a giant human being. That's our rabbit hole for today. Where were we at? I forgot where we were. Uh, big, uh, big 12 schedule is out. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of angst and waiting over this. And to me, I, I thought they were extremely fair. Uh, it's an interesting angle for Oklahoma State's perspective. I mean, they play all the newcomers. Uh, only, only, let's see here, one Texas school, and that's Houston. Uh, interesting schedule from Oklahoma State's perspective. What did you make of it? Uh, first thing I noticed was the early buy again, another September buy. Oh, so it'll, no. be eight, it'll be eight straight after the buy. That was the first thing I noticed because last year I, I thought that that played into some of the injury stuff down the stretch. You know, if you can get that buy on like October 21st or October 28th or something, man, that's a huge reboot for your team. I think at that point in the season, again, Oklahoma state gets a September buy. It is what it is. It'll be eight straight after the buy. But the other thing I noticed was all four, of the newbies, you get two of them at home. Cincinnati's going to be homecoming. Also, I, I kind of noticed the split between old and new in Oklahoma State's schedule. The first seven games of the season, business as usual. And then four of the last five are against the newbies. And then you've got Bedlam uh, after Oklahoma. But the last three, I mean, November is Bedlam and then three newbies. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this season. I think getting to play all four of the new schools in, in the first year is kind of cool. Get to see them all up close and personal in year one. Uh, mixed Bedlam in there. I, I think it was a very fair schedule for Oklahoma State. I do think that Mike Gundy's teams have been more successful throughout the years. We've seen it in bowls. We've seen it in the non-conference. Teams, these new four programs that are coming in, they have not seen Oklahoma State year in and year out for the last decade. So they don't know all of the tendencies. They don't know all of the strategies. It's not this built-in knowledge that you have from playing every single year. So I think it's a favorable schedule from Oklahoma State's point because um, even a down Oklahoma State team, Mike Gundy has had a lot of success in his career 
outside of the conference. Um, so, yeah, getting four of the last five. Hopefully Oklahoma State's healthy and humming and, and can beat up on some of the newcomers. I'm I'm somewhat optimistic after seeing the schedule. Uh, you know, no Texas on there, no Baylor, who I think is a good team, no TCU, no Texas Tech, who's on the way up. Uh, I think it's favorable for Oklahoma State. Yeah, I think that's what they were kind of going for. I think they wanted – one, I think they, they realize Oklahoma State's one of their better – you know, TV teams in terms of the ratings and they want them to play all the newcomers. And I think that helps them scheduling as far as Oklahoma state, getting them some wins. I mean, I think Texas tech's going to be pretty good. We all know what TCU did last year. They, they avoid Texas. Who's probably going to be the pick to win the league in preseason. Uh, I thought they really did protect Oklahoma state from some of the tougher teams in the league while showcasing them against the new fellas. Uh, But man, they're going to rack up some miles. Colby, they got to go to UCF. Uh, they got to go to Houston back at the week after UCF. They go to West Virginia. Uh, they got they got some they got Arizona State and the non-con as well. So they they have some long road trips. But overall, I thought they really were trying to avoid some schedule losses amongst some of the original members. And you know Texas, I I thought they could have been a little harsher on Oklahoma and Texas. I really do. I didn't think they I thought they treated Oklahoma pretty well in terms of I think Oklahoma is in the top half of in terms of uh, their opponents' records from last year in terms of like facing the fewest amount of wins, and they did schedule them to Provo the second to last game, and then at home against TCU. I would have loved to have seen like at UCF, at Provo, oh uh, TCU at home on a Friday. Like put those all in a row. Uh, they got West Virginia coming at home this year, so I don't know. I did you think they were? more than fair for Oklahoma and Texas? Because Texas, I guess, they, they play almost all their games in the state of Texas because all these schools probably wanted to play them before they hit the hit the door. Yeah, I, I think it was favorable for Oklahoma State. I definitely think it was favorable for Oklahoma. Their road games in conference are Cincinnati, Kansas, Oklahoma State, and BYU. That's the road schedule in conference. Now, we know wow. uh, the, the struggles in Bedlam, so I think the OU fan base probably just – chalking up all four of the road conference games as wins. And I, I mean, I don't know that they're necessarily wrong again, hopefully Oklahoma state uh, can do some things in Bedlam, but that hasn't been the case recently. Um, yeah. That, that's at Cincinnati at Kansas at Oklahoma state at BYU. I, I would say that is definitely, definitely favorable for a team that is leaving for the sec who you definitely don't want to win your conference on their way out. Yeah. I, do you want to go through the schedule a little bit? A way too early look ahead in terms of uh, wins and losses? Absolutely, I want to do a way too early look ahead. Okay, we're we're assuming they go three and zero in non-con, right? I mean, I do think that Arizona State game's trickier now that they've gotten rid of Herm Edwards and Kenny Dillingham's basically treating that like an SEC job and bringing in talent. But are we assuming they go three and zero in non-con? Let's give them three and zero again. I'm not a hundred percent penciling the Arizona State game in as a win. I do think Oklahoma State will have to play decent football. Uh, remember this last year, Oklahoma State was playing well early in the season. Arizona State was not. It was a total dumpster fire. That game was it, Oklahoma State led by a field goal going into the fourth quarter. So uh, I'm, I'll give them three and zero in the non-con, but I say it tentatively on Arizona State. My opinion could change come September. Yeah, Kyle Boone did this as well on pistols firing. He's got. Uh... His early handicap is OSU as a five-point underdog on the road at Iowa State to open up Big 12 play. What say you? Uh, I think that's probably appropriate. That's a tough place to play. Uh, Iowa State plays well defensively and at your first conference game. New quarterback. Um, yeah, I, I think that that could be a tough one. <sighs> Iowa State's got to be better offensively, right? They have to be. 
I don't know. <laughs> I'm uh I'm 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 giving Oklahoma State a win in this one because you know he's owned Matt Campbell, and I think the reason he's owned Matt Campbell is OSU's just more athletic than than Iowa State. For some reason, they're able to beat Oklahoma every other year, but for whatever reason, they really struggle with Oklahoma State. And I think that comes down to coaching. So I I will give Mike a huge benefit of the doubt with Alan Bowman playing quarterback and all the new faces and new defensive coordinator and same offensive staff, which just again just boggles my mind. But I'll, I'll give him a win. Uh, okay, let's split there. I'm going to give him a loss there. On the road to open conference play, uh, I, I think I'm going to give him a loss there. All right. K-State at home? Uh, K-State at home. K-State's a good football team. They're losing some guys. They won 48 to nothing last year. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I can pick them to beat Kansas State. I don't. It was too bad last year. Kleiman's got it rolling too good. I just, I don't feel good about it. I, man... I, I hate that I've got them starting 0-2 in conference, but I'll probably have them finishing a little stronger against the newbies. So I got to give them a loss against K-State. I, I do too, but I will say this. Kansas State has to replace a ton. I think they lost like seven starters. Um, they're losing uh, Felix Anaduke. I think I pronounced that right. Apologies if I did Yeah, didn't. They, they're losing him. They're losing Deuce. They're, they're losing a ton. Their quarterback situation. Uh, is Will Howard gone or is he back? I can't remember, but they, uh, there's no way Will Howard's back. He's been there nine years. They were, they were losing a ton. They were kind of a very old team, much like Oklahoma state was the year before. Um, so I'll, I will give them a loss too, but, but I won't just completely write it off. Cause I think they have a lot. Of, will Howard is only a junior this year, by the way. How, how I don't the COVID. I mean, every time we ask this, just say COVID. I, yeah, I have no true. idea. True. His first year was 2020, so I guess you can't even blame COVID. Well, I think it's probably because he got in early in his career due to injuries. You know, Skylar Thompson would keep getting hurt, and then Will Howard would come in. So I think we just kept seeing him pop in as a young kid in injury duty. Um, Yeah, it seems like he's been there much longer than that. But, yeah, I I apologize to uh, Will Howard. He is no Perry Ellis. Yeah, so I've got OSU 1-1. and You got him 0-2? Yep, I hate that, but such is life. Uh, Kansas at home, very next week. Uh, I, I do think you have to play well to beat Kansas, but I think they beat Kansas at home. I agree. All right. Uh, at West Virginia. Uh, I think Oklahoma State wins that game. They've been good in Morgantown. I don't think West Virginia is very good. Um, yeah, I'll take Oklahoma State to win that game, get back to level in conference. Yeah, give me the better program, better head coach. I'll, I'll call that a win as well. Uh, let's see here. At home against Cincinnati. Uh, I'll give Oklahoma State a win there. Cincinnati's a good program. They're on the way up. But I do think you jump from the lower level to the Power Five to a really good Big 12 conference week in and week out. That's the other thing we have to to, to factor in when you're playing the newbies. This is first year week in, week out, the grind of the Big 12. That could start to wear on these teams later in the schedule. Oklahoma State gets them all later in the schedule. I think Oklahoma State wins homecoming. Okay. 2-1, 3-1. I've got them winning homecoming as well. I'm going to go, uh, let's see, 4-1 and one is what I got them at. Uh, I just, I don't, I think Cincinnati losing Luke Fickle is a big deal. I just do. I think he's, what he's already doing at Wisconsin, like he's got them just rolling in recruiting. I just, I think Cincinnati is is heading, heading on the downward trajectory. So, again, I'll, maybe I'm more bullish on OSU than I thought. I'll give him a win there too. How about at UCF? At UCF, um, UCF was not great a year ago. They beat they had a good win against a good t- Tulane team. Um, lost to them in the conference. They were better than I thought. I'm pulling up their schedule last year. Um, on the road, going to Florida. 
I don't know. We're weirdly. Wait, are we at UCF? We we skipped over Bedlam. Oh, I did. Yeah, Bedlam's after Cincinnati. Oh, I think my that's bad. I wasn't ready for UCF uh, yet. Yeah. I'm going to take Oklahoma and Bedlam. Uh, for obvious reasons, Carson, I am going to take Oklahoma. I, mean, I sat in that stadium in Norman as OSU just once again just tucked their tail completely, and we're punting on on OU's half of the field. Um, just chalk that one up as a loss. I uh, picked Oklahoma State to win Bedlam 37 to 20 this past year, and I had to send out <laughs> I had to send out an I was wrong. This is a lopsided game tweet with like six minutes left in the first quarter, so I cannot in good consciousness pick Oklahoma State to win that game. And especially that Oklahoma. I mean, that's the worst Oklahoma since Schnellenberger, and you just got blown off the map. It's just it's embarrassing. Okay, how about at UCF now? Coming off Bedlam, I don't think that Oklahoma State has a 9-3 and team next year. So by that very logic, I think I'm going to pick them to uh, fall to UCF. Uh, that'll be four losses, which I think is where I'm going to end up having them is in the 8-4 and four range. Yep, I got them losing on the road. It's a tough place to play. Uh, they're... I think Gus Malzahn's going to have UCF on an upward trajectory. And if Gus Malzahn's smart, just do what Oklahoma State's done. Just take all the kids from Texas that Texas doesn't recruit and Oklahoma doesn't recruit and just go win. Like, just just take all the Florida kids that Florida State and Florida don't want in Miami, and you're still going to be really, really good. And yeah. you can give a lot of problems. So I, I just think that's a tough road trip. First time there. Uh, I got that as a loss. How about uh, at Houston? At Houston, Carson, I think that this is the game uh, that maybe makes the difference. One of these last two make the difference between a 7-5 and five and an 8-4 and four season. Um, I think that's where Oklahoma State is going to slot in. I don't know if I want to give them wins in both of these last two. I'm probably overthinking this. It's February. We're predicting football games. Um, I'll give them a win at Houston since I had them losing at UCF. I don't think they lose three straight to open November. I got them losing on the road. Um oh. I just, they're not a very good road team um, lately. And I think that a lot of that goes down to the offense. They Their offense just, it gets so much harder to watch on the road, Colby. I mean, how many road games did we watch where they just ran out of ideas almost immediately after the first, you know, series? Yeah. Uh, that that to me is, um, is worrisome. And Houston will be rocking just having all these new teams coming to town. I, I don't think Houston's very good. It's a game that OSU should win. I just I don't really trust them to do so. I mean, who who knows who's playing quarterback at this point? Is Alan Bowman still healthy? Uh, history tells us he would not be. I know his injuries have been rather freaky, but I don't know. That's that's another thing for me, Colby. Like OSU's had injuries at the quarterback position for a long time, and unlike other schools in the Big Twelve, who, who's going to be the backup? I mean, is Garrett, Garrett Rangel didn't look ready last year. Uh, Gunnar Gundy certainly didn't. Um, you know, what happens if Alan Bowman gets hurt? Then, then this thing really, really gets off the rails because they don't have a viable backup. Yeah, offensive line, I think, is some of that in run game. You've got to support your quarterback. But uh, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with you giving them a loss there. I, I think it's it's possible they lose one of those last two coming down the stretch. They've struggled on the road. I do think um, 
these new teams coming into the Big 12. I'm curious to see how healthy they are late in the year after the full grind of the season. Now, I think BYU might be a little better prepared for that than some of these other um, programs because BYU has played some bigger names. You know, they beat Baylor last year. Uh, they played Oregon. They played Notre Dame to within a score. Um, ended up playing BYU, uh, pardon me, playing, playing SMU in the bowl game, which they won. Uh, but I do think Oklahoma State takes here of business in the finale at home against BYU. I do wonder, though, if it turns into a lame duck situation like last year, late in November. Really hope it doesn't. But that last game this past year, I mean, that was just a lame duck situation where, you know, somebody had to win that game. Somebody had to lose it. Hopefully this is still an Oklahoma State team playing motivated football. Uh, and assuming that that's the case, I think that they beat BYU, uh, which would have me sitting them at eight and four uh, with very real possibilities for six and six or seven and five if one or two of those coin flips don't go their way. Yeah, I can't pick them to beat BYU because I don't think they're an eight and four football team. So I'll give them a loss at home for for some of the reasons you said. I just the attrition we've seen, uh, the early bye week, which you rightly pointed out. I uh, again, I I withhold judgment when we get closer to the season. But just my snap look at it, I can't pick this team to go eight and four with the roster they have constructed currently and the coaching staff they have currently. Uh, so I'll go I'll go seven and five to end the year, losing at home to to BYU. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think if you would have asked me just what their record's going to be, I probably would have told you 7-5, and five, and then we went game by game, and I do like the favorable schedule. If they were playing TCU, Texas Tech, and Baylor this year, I'd probably feel a little bit differently because I've got them going 3-1 and one against the four newcomers. You replace those with, with those four Big 12 teams that they're not playing, uh, and maybe I – the, the old Big 12, uh, and maybe I feel differently about it with Texas in there as well. But, uh, yeah, I think the, the schedule's very favorable, and I I could see 8-4 and four being in the cards if Bowman is healthy and is protected, uh, which obviously a lot of, lot of ifs that were thrown in there. Yeah, I mean, again, I think the entire Big 12 realized you better have a, back, a good backup quarterback or your season can go in the tank. And the, the teams that did, we're able to survive. Um, so that's the key to the whole thing. I mean, if your quarterback gets hurt, you have very little chance. So I don't know. Interesting schedule. I think it sets up favorably for Oklahoma State. And I do think looking at the schedule game by game, Colby says that, you know, it's it's not completely doom and gloom. And and I think that's something that Mike Gundy really hit on in his interview with, with Robert Allen on his radio show. It was uh, podcasted as well. If you want to take a listen to it, I think there's a link on Pistols Firing. There's an article as well from Kyle Boone. Uh, you know, Mike, his first answer was about eight minutes long. Um, I think he had a lot to get off his chest. He was very excitable, very animated, very positive. And uh, I think he has a right to be Colby. I just, I think his, his perspective is a little misguided in terms of, you know, he says any talk of there being a culture problem at Oklahoma State is complete, quote, BS. Um I don't know how you can say that when you lose 16 players. And, and this is where it's different for me, Colby. Like, yeah, a lot of teams have lost 16 players. No other school lost seven starters to the portal. No other school had their bowl captain, who's a sophomore, enter the portal, who's a starter, enter the portal. Like, it's a very different scenario than other schools who had the same portal numbers as Oklahoma State. And to he just blames Twitter Again, Twitter is just always under attack for, under Mike when really what Twitter is is his those fan tweets. base. Who's sending those tweets? What about the players? His, his own players. It's his own players. It's his own fans, and it's people who cover the sport. It, this is 
this is not like some echo chamber. This is reality. And the reality is, I don't, he says, you know, two, three, four guys can get disgruntled and leave. How about seven starters? Like, again, I, is the sky falling? No. Is Mike right in that, you know, the OSU is probably going to be fine? Yeah. But to sit there and act like it's Twitter's fault for that narrative to even be out there and that you're just giggling about it. Well, you know, it's not giggling the parents of these players who enter the portal and they're uprooting their, their kid, you know? So I, I don't know. Mike, Mike has a right to, to do some po- positive PR with his PR spokesperson uh, on the radio, but I thought his criticism for there being just Twitter outrage for no reason is, is an insult. He's insulting our intelligence and patting everyone on the head and saying, everything's fine. I don't know what you guys were even worked up about. Yeah. I, I thought a lot of the stuff that he said uh, was really good. I, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit when he did talk about the culture, you know, uh, talked about laughing about the Twitter stuff and just, he doesn't pay attention to any of it. And uh, I, I get that you don't want to read into all that stuff as a head coach, but I don't think that there would have been anything wrong with just a little dose of honesty there that says, you know, we, we didn't finish the season very well. Everything kind of went wrong. Um, and we've got to get back on our feet and put the program uh, back together and get back to where we want to be next year in terms of wins and losses. I, I don't think it would have been crazy to say something along those lines. Um, you know, he, he says when talking about the culture, there was no talk of any of this stuff when Oklahoma state was top 10 in the country and six and one. Well, yeah. And then the last five games of the season were arguably the worst stretch of football that Oklahoma state has played. I mean, if somebody can find me a worse five game stretch in Oklahoma state's in, in Mike Gundy's tenure, I'm all ears. Maybe there is one, but that was a five game stretch in which you did not score more than 20 points in one of those games. You lost four of those five. The only one you won, the opponent turned it over five times and your starting quarterback weirdly was all of a sudden uninjured in the fourth quarter and led you to a win. <laughs> it was just, yeah. I mean, nobody was talking about it when you're top 10 in the country and six and one, and then you play the worst stretch of football that has been played at Oklahoma state, maybe in the last 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Things went wrong down the stretch. Yeah. The narrative's different. Um, but no, I thought most of the interview with Mike Gundy was good stuff. Good information, talking about some of the recruits, um, talking about Alan Bowman, talking about, you know, the time that they have to spend, the way they can allot their time uh, with some of the new rules, getting the new defensive coordinator and uh, Brian Nardo, making sure that they're they're using their time efficiently as there might be some new terminology and things of that nature on the defensive side of the ball this year. Uh, I thought a lot of it was good. I, I rolled my eyes a little bit when he's like, yeah, there was no talk about uh, culture problems when we're six and one. Yeah, and then you just it, everything goes bad for five straight games in the worst way possible. Yeah, it's going to be a different conversation than when you were six and one in top ten in the country. Well, and for me, it's not even about the schedule and the and the losses. For me, it's about guys you recruited that were integral pieces of your offense and defense deciding. You know what? This isn't the place for me. It's Trace Ford saying, you know what? I can get better playing football at Oklahoma. They have better things for me. Their coaching staff is better. You got. Braylon Presley's mama saying that they don't know how to use players on offense, that that they have no trust in the coordinator that you're keeping. That to me sounds like a culture problem. So to me, it has way less to do with wins and losses. It has way more to do with your own players going, you know what, this kind of stinks. And I don't think you guys are doing a good job. And so I'm going to leave that, that to me is the definition of a culture problem. Um, But I mean, you're right. There was some good information. I thought the, the stuff about, the way he went about hiring Brian Nardo was interesting. Uh, you know, it's clear, like I mentioned on the last podcast and that things that I've heard that 
and Mike admits this, that he wants to go more to a three-down front, an, an odd front as he constantly referred to it as. And Tony Gibson's at North Carolina State. He was at West Virginia, a guy he played against a bunch. Rocky Long, been around a long time. And it sounds like Nardo just kind of won him over. There's very few coordinators that, you know, run this style of defense. I think it's a brilliant move from Mike because he's seen the success of it at Iowa State and under John Haycock in a 3-3-5, in a three-high safety look. He knows it works. And you throw in the fact that their defensive line is probably the thinnest group on the entire team. And the fact that you can plug and play guys who aren't five stars into this type of system, I think it fits Oklahoma State really, really well. And I think it, it shows you just how smart of a coach Mike Gundy really is too. Oh, absolutely. You know, we, we can criticize Mike Gundy on the, the things that deserve criticism. Uh, and we can credit him on the things that he does really well and gets really right. And hiring coordinators for the most part, I know we're not all thrilled with the offensive staff right now. We'll see how that plays out next season. But for the most part, he's gotten those right. Um, and there was a good story last weekend in the Oklahoman on Brian Nardo by Scott Wright uh, with some quotes from Gary Woods II, who played underneath him at Emporia, that last name Woods. Uh, yes, he is related to the Woods that were at Oklahoma State, I believe the nephew of uh, Donovan Dewan and uh, and Rashawn. Um, yeah, great article. By the way, I read it at my parents' house in an honest-to-God newspaper, Carson. Actual, <laughs> the font. Uh, I, I told him old. I was like, this is the first time I've read something that wasn't on a screen in I really don't know how long. It was it was nostalgic. It was honestly kind of cool. Uh, and I mean, I don't know. I, I'm a dad now. Maybe it's just the dad in me. I'm like, maybe I need a newspaper subscription. Maybe I need to walk out on Sunday mornings and walk down the driveway and grab the newspaper. Uh, but yeah, it was a great story by Scott in the Oklahoman. And there were some pretty good quotes. Uh, the one that kind of caught my eye, Mike Gundy said, he said, I started getting bombarded. I counted roughly 14 coordinators at the power conference level, three in the SEC, couple in the Big Ten, guys who had pretty good careers who wanted this job. And he just said that he thought Brian Nardo was the best fit and won him over. And, I mean, if that's true, and, and there's guys in the SEC and in the Big Ten at the power five level who want this job, and, you know, he was looking for a specific guy. And Brian Nardo was the specific guy that he was looking for. And uh, again, I said when the when the hire was made, I'm good with it. Let's see how it plays out. I still feel the same way uh, after reading some of the quotes that his former players gave about him, the way that he teaches uh, young men and coaches and, and knows, you know, he knows who needs berated and he knows who needs an arm around the shoulder. Uh, a, lot, a lot of the takeaway from the article in the Oklahoman for me was that he knows who needs coached which ways. Um, I'm, I'm all good with the, the Nardo higher and I'm bullish on maybe what the Oklahoma State defense could look like uh underneath him with the 335 stuff doing some of the things that Iowa State done has done because Oklahoma State has had success on defense but you need that longevity you need to be able to, to sustain it uh over a long period of time get that reputation as a good defensive program uh so yeah I'm I'm all good with that and I thought the quotes about the DC hire from Gundy were really good yeah and like look let's face it Oklahoma State's just not going to get those defensive tackles that everyone wants year in, year out. They're just, they're not. And that limits the, you know, the amount of sheer need for that if you're playing a lot of three-man front. And I, I think it really showcases, too, their safeties, like Kendall Daniels. I think that's that's big time. I, I would like to showcase that guy. <laughs> that's a that's a good idea. And so, no, I, I'm i bullish on the hire, too. And I, I think one thing we can take solace in, Mike Gunny knows how to hire coaches. And, you know, Jim Knowles, Mike Yersich going down the line. Uh, Casey Dunn's not quite working out as the OC, but again, we'll have to wait and see if there's any staff shakeup now that signing day is behind us. Uh, you ready for bullets and BBs? Uh, yeah, let's do it. You up first or me? Uh, you can go. 
Uh, Bullet, today, Carson, is my mother's birthday. Oh. Uh, she is the absolute best. I know some people have interacted with her on Twitter. She has been on this show multiple times. Uh, it's been a hard week for her. She has been down in Chickasha uh, at a, a criminal trial for a friend of ours who was killed a few years ago down in Chickasha. Uh, and it's been a tough, very heavy week. And then we're celebrating her birthday tonight. Uh, you can find her at CowboyChick66 on Twitter if you want to wish her a happy birthday. Uh, but she's the best, truly best mom a kid could ask for. Uh, great grandma. It's our, our little girl and my niece as well. She is just the absolute best. She deserves all the good things. So major happy birthday to my mom. Happy birthday, Kim. That, that, that's that's a very very thoughtful uh, bullet. I'm gonna stick with the mom theme. You know, I just simply like tweeted out a photo of Woody Newton in an Oklahoma State jersey at home when they were playing uh, Iowa State. You know, they got the Curse of Cowboys and just the old school shorts they used to wear. I just said best uniform on campus. That's all I really said. Didn't even tag Woody. Didn't even mention his name. Uh, his mama commented on the tweet, kind of like how my mom texts me, Colby. I don't know if your mom does this. <laughs> she'll she'll type me something and she'll put like the little swirly line say mom in the text as That's if i don't funny. as if i don't have her her name saved as mom already like I, she's clarifying that she is the one sending the text even on just direct text messages well she woody newton's mom said love you son heart mom to the tweet that i put out which i thought was very sweet and woody responds and says love you mama like i it was a very heartfelt moment on twitter we don't get very many of those colby and i will say woody newton's insertion in the starting lineup going a little smaller has helped pick up the pace he led the team in rebounds in bedlam had 10 of them uh he's been a solid solid addition to the starting lineup and you know what i was feeling the motherly love so i'll stick with the mom theme and give him my bullet and and mama I love that. I love that. Yeah, social media can can be awful, but sometimes it provides us uh, some good things. So that's very cool. Um, Carson, I don't know that I have a BB today. I, I, I got look, one. I looked through college sports. Maybe I'm missing something. Fire away. I've got one. And this this irked me at the time. And I know it irked a lot of people in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, Joe Mixon is back in hot water. Uh, he's in trouble with the law. I'm trying to pull up the article here. His lawyer did release a statement this morning saying that the charge is expected to be dropped today and that they might have jumped the gun. Okay, well, an arrest warrant for allegedly pointing a gun at a woman in uh, Cincinnati is requesting the charge dropped. But, you know, Joe Mixon back – and, that, and that's really the not the point about these current charges. The point is, you know, this guy was never forced to learn a lesson. I was at the press conference before the bowl game when he was going to play uh, his first game against Auburn. And I, this is right after, I don't know if people remember this. He got in trouble again on campus because someone was giving him a parking ticket and he pretended like he was going to drive over the woman giving him a ticket. And he got in trouble for that. And Bob Stoops is up there at the podium saying he's a changed person and, you know, he, he deserves a second chance. And I asked Bob the question. I was the only one in the room, I guess, paying attention to what's been going on with Joe Mixon. And you got a lot of, a lot of media in there not wanting to ask tough questions. I said, Bob, how can you, how are you certain he has changed when two weeks ago he was alleged to pretend to run over some poor parking attendant lady? And he and Bob kind of stammered a little bit and, and tried to answer as best he could because there, there is no answer. And I just I juxtapose those that situation with Joe Mixon, who's been enabled ever since he entered that Pickleman's restaurant. Just juxtapose that with what Mike Gundy did with Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill 
kicked off the team immediately. And what did that do for him? He had to transfer to West Alabama. What do you think? What do you think Tyreek Hill's thinking about when he's walking to class at West Alabama? He's like, how in the world did I end up here? What, how did this go so wrong for me? And he has to sit there and he has to contemplate those things. Joe Mixon had to contemplate what he was going to order at, at the five-star restaurant they were staying at when he was playing against Auburn in his first game back. He's never had to learn a lesson. He's never been held accountable. And so while these charges may be dropped, this just appears to me like a guy who's never been forced to learn a lesson. And look, I know Tyreek Hill's since gotten in more hot water too. I'm not saying it's perfect here, but I'm, but I am saying credit to Mike Gundy for having the cojones to kick off one of the best players on his team because it was the right thing to do. It's a stain on Bob Stoops's resume that he let that kid back on the team after what he did. And the kid still hasn't learned his lesson. So BB for everyone involved down in Norman goes down to the the Cleveland County as well, the, 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 the way they handled everything in that courthouse too. So had to get that off my chest. But Tyreek Hill had to sit there and contemplate his actions. He was forced to. Joe Mixon has not. No, I think that's all very well said. Uh, the situation was obviously mishandled, just the the cover-up, the hush-hush nature of it. Um, yeah, and, and we're well past it, but it's still – uh, I mean, it still carries some weight in this state the way that that was handled. So, yeah, I think that that's all very well said. Uh, the situation Joe Mixon's dealing with right now, uh, we'll see attorneys say things. Um, an arrest warrant was issued. They don't do that for no reason, I wouldn't think. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see how it plays out now. But, um, yeah, everything that you said, very well said. Uh, completely agree. Uh, anything else? Sell out Gallagher on Saturday, 1 o'clock tip? Uh, hope so. 1 o'clock tomorrow, ESPN+. Plus. Uh, but a big game for Oklahoma State. I, we don't know if Mike Miles is playing. We don't know if Eddie Lampkin is playing. If they do, how healthy would they, will they be? We don't know. Uh, but we know it's a big one for Oklahoma State. They could get back to level in conference play. As difficult as the Big 12 is, after they started 1-4 and four and lost that game to what was at the time an unranked Baylor team by 16 points in which they were never competitive from the opening whistle – I didn't think there was any chance that they could pull level in conference play at any point this season. They have a chance to do it tomorrow. Uh, if you're able, show up, support. It's a big one. It's a huge one, and it just – I'm a little cautious. It just seems like every time OSU basketball is doing the Undertaker gif of, like, rising from the ashes, the rug tends to get pulled out from under it. I expect a big crowd there on Saturday. You win that. I expect a huge crowd for Tech on a Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Then you got Kansas on February 14th at home for big uh, Super Tuesday at 8 o'clock. Uh, there's a real chance we can see Gallagher Iba rocking again in the old barn full. And I, I, I think that would be great a great way to kind of end the regular season. And who knows where the season's going. But uh, I'm way more optimistic than I was just a few weeks ago, Colby. It should be exciting. Absolutely, it should. Thanks, everybody, for listening once again. Uh, glad we were able to make it work today, Carson. Everybody have a good weekend. We're back next week with more. As always, go Pokes.